0: Welcome to Palm Sunday, how good it is to know that Jesus is here and that he's received our praises and our worship today. Palm Sunday begins what some of us call Holy Week, it's the week when we remember the suffering, the passion of Christ, and then it leads up to Easter Sunday when we celebrate his resurrection. Easter is the biggest day in Christianity and it is an exciting time. And we prepare for that Uh, depending on family traditions you might prepare for that day in different ways i know for my wife and i we we prepare our house and she decorates and she plans a meal so that the family can come over and we can enjoy the meal and then have a lot of fun after that and then to add to the excitement of easter with family last year was our first year being grandparents and so We were excited about putting together an easter basket for baby daniel and we put a football and a soccer ball and a and a basketball and bubbles and chalk and he was like just a few months old you know he just like didn't know what it was all about but we were excited and so this year we said okay he's gonna be uh, a year and a half or a little older than that and and so we got him easter basket back in february like it was the day after Valentine's. That's how excited we were, that's how much anticipation there is for that kind of day and celebration. And we're reminded that special celebrations require careful preparation. Special occasions require that we prepare accordingly, or we might miss an opportunity. We might miss out on something if we don't. And that's one of the reasons that we have 40 days of prayer here at Calvary. Prayer, it's a powerful thing, and it's good when we pray together in a focused way. But when we do prayer, 40 days of prayer during the Lenten season, is part of it is because we want you to be spiritually prepared to contemplate the wonderful work of Jesus on the cross and to experience the power of the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. So I hope you've been preparing your heart. Today, we're gonna look at a story that has to do with preparation. It is a a familiar story, but uh, as it leads up to the passion narratives to the stories of Holy Week, uh, we, we look at this as a time of preparation. And I hope that as we look at the story that you will be encouraged to experience this, to experience Jesus in a deeper way, that you would be compelled to share what Jesus has to offer, most of all, that you would be called to surrender all. Because when a king comes into town, he deserves worship. He deserves surrender. He deserves that we bow down before him. And the way to welcome Jesus is to surrender to him. So let me call your attention to John chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. And uh, we'll give reading to this passage. John 12:1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Six days before the Passover, The gospel writer wants us to get that. This is when this event takes place, six days before the Passover. Passover is the biggest religious festival of the Jews. What Easter is to Christians, Passover is to the Jews. It is a commemoration of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. The very first Passover took place as God was bringing his people out of Pharaoh's oppression. And he had done mighty acts among uh, the people of God and against Pharaoh so that he would let the people go. And the 10th of those signs was the killing of every firstborn in Egypt. It was a horrible thing, but Pharaoh's heart was so hardened. And God instructed through Moses that the the Hebrews should take a one-year-old lamb that was without blemish and they would kill that lamb and they would take the blood of the lamb, and with a hyssop, they would put it on the doorpost of their home. Then that night, they would eat that roasted lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. And as the angel of death would go throughout Egypt, killing the firstborn of every family, when he would come to a house that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, it would pass over that house. And so the Passover celebration is a commemoration of the deliverance of the Hebrews from Egyptian oppression. It begins their story as a nation, and so every year they were to celebrate this feast. Every year they were to prepare for it, to prepare the lamb that would be roasted, to prepare the bitter herbs, to prepare the entire meal, to prepare the unleavened bread. And there was a feast of unleavened bread that accompanied Passover. For seven days, the Jews were supposed to cleanse their homes from any yeast, from any leaven, from any bread, that had yeast in it. They had to cleanse it completely from their homes. It it had a lot of meaning that I don't have time to talk about, but but it was a sense of of purification so that they could only eat unleavened bread at Passover. That was the feast. And there was ceremonial cleansing that would follow. And we cannot miss the writer's intention here. He wants us to know that district play played six days before all of this, celebrations of Passover and unleavened bread. It's because there's a kind of expectation that permeates this story. There's an anticipation, not only for the Passover, but that this Passover would be a different kind of Passover. The writer wants us to get that sense. And so we meet this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, who we've already met earlier in the Gospels, but here we see them in a very special event, And we see that they are, first of all, prepared to welcome Jesus. They're prepared to welcome Jesus. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Yet he would not miss the opportunity to stop at their friend's house. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were close friends of Jesus. And on his way to Jerusalem, he would not miss this opportunity to stop at their house and to share a meal with them because he loved them. And they loved him so much. In fact, they, their relationship was such that Martha and Mary earlier had not understood when Lazarus became sick and he died, why Jesus had not come to town to prevent it? Because they, they loved each other so much. How could Jesus ignore this? But that day when Jesus comes to Bethany, Lazarus had been buried in the tomb. He'd been there four days. Mary and Martha are brokenhearted. Jesus weeps with them. But then he goes to the tomb and he stands in front of it. He asks that the stone be removed and and he speaks to the tomb where a dead man had been laying for four days and he calls Lazarus out of the grave and he comes out. Can you imagine the goosebumps that they must have felt? Their brother who had died, their brother who they had grieved, their brother who they thought was lost now came alive because of Jesus. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were forever grateful to Jesus. So they were preparing for the Passover on this occasion, but, but they were also preparing for Jesus' visit. I am afraid that they were more excited about Jesus' visit than they might have been about the Passover. It is an extraordinary moment Perhaps Lazarus is working to fix things around the house and and, and Mary is maybe cleaning up or decorating and Martha went to the marketplace to get the ingredients for the dinner that she's preparing. Jesus too is anticipating the visit. He's looking forward to being with his friends and maybe as he's approaching the house, he can smell uh, the food that has been prepared and he can see the people coming and going. There's excitement about Jesus's arrival Then he arrives, there's the customary greetings, the hugs and the kisses that show the affection that they had for each other. But the central place for that moment is the table. Tables in the Middle East, first century, were not like our tables. They were not high off the ground. They didn't have chairs. Tables were low to the ground. And instead of chairs, they had pillows or maybe couches and they would recline and they would lean on their left arm and would eat with their right hand. And so Jesus reclines at the table on this occasion, and Lazarus reclines as well. And Martha serves. It almost seems stereotypical. Lazarus is just there chilling, enjoying the meal. And Martha, this task-oriented girl who's always cooking, always working, always concerned about the details, is serving. But, but I think she's grown mature from that last incident when she was upset at Mary. And, and she's glad that she gets to serve on this occasion. They welcome Jesus. Jesus. This family welcomes Jesus. You know, Jesus promised that one day he'll return. He promised us. And he will. And my question for you today is, are you prepared for his coming? Have you welcomed Jesus the first time? Because the only way that his second coming can be good news for you is if you welcome him the first time. If you welcome him now. The best preparation for his return is to welcome him into your life, to open your life to him, to surrender your life to him the way this family did. The best preparation for Easter is to know that you've opened your life to the life of Jesus and he's work in your life. What a joy that brings. What a joy it was for this family to do so. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were prepared to welcome Jesus. But beyond that, Mary was also prepared To worship him. While Martha was prepared to serve Jesus and the other guests, and while Lazarus prepared to simply enjoy the fellowship, Mary had something very special for that occasion. As Jesus was reclining to eat, Mary took a pint, some versions say a pound, of very expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and then wiped it with her hair. It was perfume, nard, came from Nepal. It was a Nepalese plant. It was at a distance, so it was expensive because how far you had to travel to get it and because he had to be extracted from a plant. And it took a lot of plants to make one pound of nard. And, and so this was an expensive perfume. And Mary pours it out on Jesus' feet. The entire house is filled with the fragrance. By all accounts, this is over the top. It was one year's wages was what this perfume was worth. You do the math for today, even at minimum wage, one year's wages poured out in one moment. It was extravagant. It was noticeable. It was distracting, if not disrupting. Martha and Lazarus' hospitality was splendid, but Mary went further. She went beyond. Do you know people like that? you know people like that are always over the top in their affection? They're always doing more and they're showing love and they're giving and, and they're saying nice things and, and they use like a thousand emoji cons and, 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 and they post all kinds of graphics to express their love and sometimes it kind of makes you uncomfortable and you go like take it down a notch. It's a little too much, makes me uncomfortable. That's the way Mary was on that occasion. I'm sure there were people there that, that were uncomfortable with her show of devotion. In that setting, it was customary for travelers to, to have their feet washed by a servant. You would travel on a dirt road with sandals and your feet would get extremely dirty. So when you would arrive at a home, a servant would meet you with a basin of water, wash your feet, dry them with a towel. It was, it was a gesture of kindness for the traveler, and I think it might have helped the people in the house too when other people's feet were clean. But Mary went above and beyond what a common servant would do. She didn't wash Jesus' feet with water and dry them with a towel. She, she poured expensive perfume on his feet and wiped it with her hair. It was an act of, of devotion It was an act of surrender. It was extravagant love being poured out for her master. The jar of perfume must have been her most prized possession. We don't know when she bought it, how she got it, what she got it for. All we know is that in that moment, she decided to pour it out completely on Jesus. She was prepared to worship him. The house was filled with fragrance as her heart was filled with love for her master. Of course, not everyone approved of such a frivolous event. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, protested and he had a good argument. He said, All of this money, this expensive perfume, could have been sold and the money could have been taken to feed the hungry to, to help the poor. It made sense. I'm afraid some of us would have seconded that motion. Some of us would have voted with Judas. Amen. That makes sense. Why are you wasting that perfume? We should be helping the poor. Of course, while Judas might have said the right thing, he had the wrong motive. He didn't care about the poor. He was embezzling from the fund of the disciples. Sometimes people want to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. It's still the wrong thing. Sometimes people want to try to pull the wool over others' eyes. But God can see the heart. Just like Jesus could see Mary's heart, he could see Judas' heart. And he rebuked him. He said, leave her alone. She has done something very important, very meaningful. What what Mary has done here has deeper meaning than anything you've ever done, Judas. Judas. What what Mary has been prepared to do is more important than any plan you could ever devise. Mary's anointing had to do with Jesus' burial. Her seemingly senseless act was a singularly significant event. When someone died in the first century and was buried, the custom was to honor them. Their loved ones would anoint them with perfume and herbs and, and would put them in the tomb And that's what Jesus is talking about. I can only imagine Judas' facial expression. On the one hand, there must have been embarrassment. You know, guilty people are always wondering if they've been caught. He must have wondered, I wonder if Jesus knows that I've been helping myself, that I've been getting a cut from the funds. And then, confusion. Jesus is talking about that this perfume should be saved for his burial, but Jesus is alive, he's right here. And she's already poured out the perfume. What does all of this mean? To be honest, neither Mary nor Judas really understand what Jesus is talking about. Neither of them really know that that week, just in a few days, Jesus would be arrested and would be tortured and be crucified. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew, and he was ready. And he knew that Mary was preparing him for that moment. In the midst of of Martha's serving, in the midst of joyful conversations, in the midst of the laughter and the fellowship of the dinner, Jesus is deeply aware that his death by crucifixion is imminent. And Mary's anointing of her feet is an affirmation of God that he's leading these events toward their rightful fulfillment in her love for Jesus, Mary is compelled to pour out this expensive perfume. From a human perspective, it's senseless. From a financial perspective, it's a loss. But from God's perspective, it's just the right thing at the right time. Mary was prepared to worship Jesus. And in doing so, God's redemptive plan was advancing. April 5th was my mom's birthday birthday. And in 2019, she turned 80. And I thought that we should celebrate in a big way. So uh, I contacted my siblings and told them, look, I I think we should have a big party for my mom. Uh, She's turning 80, and she loves her sisters who live in Monterey, Mexico, and maybe they can come. McCallum would be a good middle point for all of us to meet, and and, and let's do that. And they agreed. so we planned this big celebration. We reserved uh, a, a room uh, at a seafood restaurant here in McAllen. My mom loved classical music, so we hired a, a string ensemble. And we did everything that we knew my mom would enjoy, brought the people that were closest to her. And, and as we were doing that, the, the budget was growing, and I was wondering if my brothers were going to be able to step up. Uh, to the challenge and and the planning was complicated, and we had to make sure everybody could make it into town and, and that there would be lodging arrangements and, and and sometimes it's a little big thing for me to be putting together. But the day arrived and and my mom came, and her sisters came, her best friend came from San Antonio, my siblings came, a lot of her grandchildren were here, and my mom was so happy. she laughed, she ate. She enjoyed the music and she was just, we took pictures and it was just a really special time. And when we were celebrating, we had no idea that it would be the last time that we would get together to celebrate her birthday. 2020, the pandemic hit and we couldn't get together and that summer she passed away. I'm so glad that when we felt the urge to do this, we did it. Because we didn't know the future, but we knew we were supposed to honor her in that way. And I'm so glad that that's our last memory of her birthday. I'm so glad that that was the way that we remember celebrating that we did what we were supposed to do, even if it was a little lavish. Most of the time, we should be sensible with our time and with our money and with our energy. But there are times that we're called to be extravagant there are times that we're called to seize an opportunity to honor those we love while they still live, to be generous in a moment when God is calling us to be generous, to step up to the plate and do something we wouldn't have done otherwise, to share cries with people because it might be the last opportunity to believe and to welcome Jesus into their lives. Jesus rebuked Judas And he took advantage of the moment to teach a lesson to everyone present. Caring for the poor is not wrong. Feeding the hungry and caring for the poor is never wrong. Jesus says, but what's wrong here is you've missed the moment. You should always take care of the poor. You should always feed the hungry but you will not always be in this moment when I'm being prepared for my crucifixion and my redemptive work. Sometimes we need to know God's timing and moment, his kairos. Today on Palm Sunday, our pastoral staff and our stewardship committee have decided to do something extraordinary. You know that every Sunday we receive an offering for our budget. And when you give in the offering plate, that that budget goes to pay salaries, and to pay bills, and to do ministry. And a part of it goes to missions. You also know that we've been talking about a global missions offering this 40 days. It's above and beyond our budget. And some of you have given to that. My wife and I have had the privilege of of giving to that. Our goal is $55,000. 60% of that will go to short-term mission trips that our people will take. It will go to church planting initiatives. 40% will go to send relief for the Ukraine, the Baptist World Alliance, for war hunger and other things like that. Well, today, the stewardship committee and pastoral staff have decided that this Sunday's offering, instead of going to the budget, will go 100% to Global Missions. That everything you put in the plate or you give online, unless you designate it otherwise, is going to go to this. So we'll have one Sunday, but we won't apply what you give to a budget, to salaries and to bills. It'll go beyond Calvary. You see, today we realize that it's time to care for the poor. It's time to feed the hungry. Jesus already died and rose again. And there are people who are spiritually and materially poor who need to be loved by him, who need to be known by him. And so today we are taking an extraordinary measure. We're doing something different. We want to welcome Jesus and we want to worship Jesus like Mary did. Mary was prepared to welcome, she was prepared to worship, but she was also prepared to witness about Jesus. And the story is interesting, the contrast between the hearts that are ready to receive Jesus and the hearts that reject him. There was a crowd that had come because they were curious about Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. These curious spectators, many of them became believers. And the chief priests were not happy about these events. The crowd who who went down to see Lazarus was, was important enough that it caught the attention of the chief priest in Jerusalem. And they were upset. Isn't it amazing that the same events that can draw people to God push some people further away from him? That the same power that rose Lazarus from the dead drew people to faith, but it also called the religious people, the people in authority, to hate, to reject... And to not only want to kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus too because he was the evidence of God's power. How ironic. And yet it's true. It happens all the time. This week as we remember the death of Jesus and the work of God, there are many of you who will be worshiping, who will be grateful, who will be in devotion. And then there are others who will be distracted by this world thing. So people who will be, abusing alcohol and who will be doing things that have nothing to do. Maybe they call it Semana Santa, but whatever they do is not santo. Whatever they do is not holy because their hearts are hardened and they don't know Jesus. In the case of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, not only did they welcome and worship Jesus, but they also witnessed for him. They were prepared to welcome him they, they, the reception that they gave him, the honor that they gave him caused others to come to faith. This large crowd that came to see the resurrected Lazarus on the next day, they're the ones who will incite the multitude traveling to Jerusalem to take palm branches. And you keep reading on, on verse 13 of, of John 12, and it says like this, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. You get the connection here? The witness of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at their home in Bethany prepared the way for Jesus' triumphal entry in Jerusalem. As they received and welcomed Jesus, and others came to see, they got excited. And on the way to Jerusalem, they incited the multitudes and they took palm branches and they welcomed him as the king that he is. Sometimes we think that giving witness about Jesus is some complicated thing. But for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, it wasn't. They just loved Jesus. They welcomed him. They worshiped him. And then they let others see what he had done in their lives. After Jesus rode into Jerusalem, With such a royal welcome, many continued to give witness about him. You know that the gospel advances in spite of opposition, in spite of difficult circumstances. The gospel continues to advance. There are those who are prepared to receive it, there are those who are prepared to share it, there are those who are prepared to be witnesses of it. Those hearts who are hardened will reject it, but the hearts who are prepared will receive it. That's the difference. The preparation of our hearts to receive. Even in a week where Jesus is about to be rejected and to be mistreated and to be tortured and crucified, God is drawing people to himself. There's a a family in our church that uh, we love. They've welcomed Jesus into their family, the Garcias, uh, Juan and Rosie, and They have two sons, Dom, who we see every Sunday at the soundboard, and and Jeremy. Jeremy and Suheili are are workers in Western Europe, and they minister to migrants. And uh, they've welcomed Jesus into their lives, and they've given witness about him as well. I want you to hear from them in this brief clip.
1: Hello, my name is Suheili.
0: My name is Jeremy.
1: And we just wanted to give you a quick update on what, what we've been up to. Um, we work with North Africa and Middle East uh, people in Europe. And uh, we just wanted to talk to you and um, share with you about how the Lord opened up um, really uh, amazing doors during the pandemic. Yeah, so as the, the, the pandemic was just about to start and we were kind of seeing our community, our name community Suffering, they were having just a difficult time, just meeting their basic needs. So, what we started to do was through our personal funds, just feed our friends, our friend, name, name community friends, um, with just bags of food. Then we shared that information with friends and family back here in the States, and they provided us with more funds to, to provide more food for them. And then we were able to kind of get a grant from Send Relief Program, which is a program that is under the Southern Baptist Convention. And they provided us with uh, a bigger fund where we were able to bulk buy much more food and feed a lot more families. So what ended up happening is that we sent about five messages to people. And they uh, were able to get their bags of food and they shared that information with uh, more families. So what ended up happening, which is uh, sharing information with five families, within a span of about a month, we were able to get in contact with 250 families that we had no idea existed. And we were not only able to meet their physical needs, but also uh, meet their spiritual needs because each bag contained an EV packet with their target language into it. So that's a little bit about what, ha- what the Lord did uh, with us, uh, with our lives. During that pandemic, we thought, you know, all the doors are closed. This is a huge roadblock uh, because of the pandemic. But in reality, it was just a great blessing for us to reach out to our community. And not only that, but share the gospel with them. And so we want to thank you for your prayers. Uh, They're the anchor that support us um, through um, hard times when we're overseas. Uh, We plan to be back in Europe in a couple of months, uh, but we are really appreciative and um, we know that you guys uh, pray for us and uh, that is very important uh, of the type of job that we do. And so we just wanna say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you, Calvary, we appreciate it.
0: And thank you, Jeremy and Suheili for being witnesses of Jesus's love, for welcoming the stranger and the midst of adversity advancing the gospel. And we can do the same thing. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus did it. So Haley and Jeremy did it. You and I can do it this week. We can welcome Jesus. Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you given your life to Jesus? He gave his to you so that you can experience that. We can worship Jesus. Are you giving Jesus your best? Are you surrendering everything to him? And then we can witness about him. Will you let God use you so that others can come to know him, so that others can come to experience his power? I want to invite you today to consider responding to today's message in, in one of several ways. Maybe for the first time in your life, you need to make a commitment to give your life to Jesus or follow him in believer's baptism. Maybe you need to join this church. All of us can give generously to the Global Mission suffering. In a few moments, we're going to be singing. And as we're singing, there will be plates up here. Everything you give today in the plates and the boxes online will go 100% to the Global Missions Offering unless you designate otherwise. So maybe that's what God is calling you to do today, to, to go above and beyond. Or maybe you're still praying for those five people in your life who are far from God but close to you so they'll come to know him. Or thinking about that one person that you want to invite for Easter Sunday so they can come hear the message of the resurrection. Whatever it is that God is leading you to do, I invite you to respond. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your call in our lives. I pray that as we respond that we would be obedient and that we would do so in faith. We pray that in Christ's name today, amen. I invite you to stand with us to respond. You can come and give, you can come and kneel down. You can sing, you can pray, but say yes to the Lord.